Hello and welcome to our first GCP short of our fourth season produced in collaboration with Brown and Brown and all about captives beyond the hard market. I recorded the following 10-minute discussion at the Seeker International Conference in March with Pete Krantz, Captive Practice Leader, and Matt Gravelin, Vice President at Brown & Brown. If you were not already aware, then good to let listeners know that the Brown & Brown Captive Practice was previously known as Beecher Carlton, but has now taken on the brand and name of the wider group. So on with the pod and Pete begins by sharing his opinion on what the impact on captive activity will be if the hard market softens or stabilises. So Pete, we have seen a lot of new captives formed during this extended hard market and existing captives, of course, taking in more premium, uh, providing higher attentions, writing new lines. If the market, and I think it's a, a big if at the moment, um, does uh, stabilize or even soften in the short term across most lines, how do you expect this to, to impact captive activity in, in the short term, if at all? Yeah, I think it's actually a a very interesting question because we have to look at the hard market first, right? And I think this hard market has been unlike previous hard markets. Um, I know we've talked about this, I think, on different podcasts as well, but where historically there'd be a hard market, there'd be sort of increases in pricing, and the underwriters, when they're talking to insureds, would come in with their their, their high increase, and then as the, the process goes through, they'd soften on that and actually reduce it, in part because they had pressure to fill out their capacity. That need to fill out capacity was not a hallmark of this hardening market. So that is a fundamental change in this hard market from previous ones. And I think it's a fundamental change in risk financing, at least from the carrier, from the market side, going into the future. So this hard market is not like previous hard markets. So when we think about the soft market, I think we're going to have a different soft market than what we have in the past. So where we've seen sort of some mitigation in premium pricing or in increases, we're still going to see the need to chase rate as opposed to filling capacity. So I think we're still in, we're going to see a different softening market as we move forward. I think as well, even if we do see softening in some lines, you know, there's some lines, cyber's the obvious one, and we did a separate podcast about that last year. We can we can uh, tell listeners to go back and listen to that. But there's, there's cyber's not getting soft anytime soon. And we're seeing captives being discussed across like, actual different lines, non-traditional lines driving new captives still, aren't we? Absolutely, I mean, to your point. Um, if you go back to 2018, 2019, started in property and GL in the real estate space, and it's sort of filtered through different lines, different industries, and to your point, cyber, DNO facing you know, significant pressure now. Ultimately, if we do see some level of softening, I think we might see um, a, a bit of a, a decrease in the growth of captives in the large market, but we're gonna continue to see it in the middle and soft market. This mar- the, the, the hardening market has forced insureds to look far more holistically at risk financing and that's changing the overarching approach that insureds are going to take now and into the future. So, Matt, during a feasibility study, and we know there's plenty of those uh, going on at the moment, how much do you take into account current market conditions and, and future forecasts on, on the premium pricing? Well, it's a good question. I mean, I think 
really the premium pricing has all the same fundamentals it has all along. I do think that, you know, it's going to depend on a multiple multiple factors associated with a specific organization. But at the same time, you're looking at the, fun, the foundations of loss experience, uh, risk profile, and exposure base when you're looking at premium pricing. And all of those things do need to, at some point, align with the commercial marketplace. Again, a lot of the, the cases in, in tax court go there. A lot of the pricing that you're going to look at is going to look at the same things that, that uh, you know, the commercial market is a comparative, but it's a captive, and they are unique. The risks are different. The, the, the profiles are slightly different amongst every organization, and that's where I think the pricing, um, you know, should be looked at at the basics first. Yeah, typically you're going to take sort of a three-pronged approach to pricing, right? One is, and, and at least two of the measures really start from actuarial. You're going to start and say, okay, what's our expected losses? And then how would an insurance company mark up premium? And then you're going to look at, um, you know, 75th confidence level, something like that, uh, which is sort of a 70 to 75th confidence levels in industry norm. And then to the extent possible, you're going to look at market pricing and sort of align those up. Because typically when you're thinking about a captive, you're, and there are exceptions to this, but you're, you're looking to essentially equate to what the market is charging to Matt's point and then have the captive build up the surplus and the benefit of doing that so that you can then take greater control of your risk financing into the future. So if a company, uh, taking that step a step further, if a company has been through a feasibility study or they're kind of coming to the close of a feasibility study and it's pretty obvious that uh, they just, they're going to decide to go down the captive route, whether they put the wheels in motion or not, but then the commercial market softens substantially, would you expect, Matt, to see clients kind of take a step back or, or reconsider at that, at that moment? I don't think they will, um, personally. I feel like if you've gone through that step to do a feasibility and you've gotten to the point where you're ready to pull the trigger on a captive as a solution, you're looking at a long-term solution for your organization and not a short-term solution. I think, yes, you know, the market is increasing a captive's, you know, the captive industry's interest or the, an organization's interest in a captive um, from the hard market. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's many other organizations seeking stability in the market. And in using a captive, you can accomplish those stability features that, that you know, that can complement the, the market and what the market chooses to do. So Pete, to what extent then, and how do your captive clients kind of constantly monitor and assess the benefit of utilizing or, or utilizing more or less of commercial capacity versus using the captive? Is that an ongoing review for kind of more sophisticated captives? Um, Richard, you've actually hit on a, a very significant point because if you see captives moving around like from manager or service provider to service provider, typically the reason is because we're not getting strategy, we're not getting creativity. My point with that is it doesn't matter if it's a soft market or a hard market, there should be constant evaluation at every renewal of a line of business, uh, just ongoing at least annually um, with the captive of saying, you know, should we, it, you know, what's the pricing for this retention in the marketplace? And so should risk be transferred? Should it be retained in the captive? And it's a line by line question, typically. So it doesn't mean that, oh, the captive's not utilized at all this year. It could be that we're utilizing it for these things this year, but we don't need it for GL because the GL market has softened and we can put more risk there. And that's the right way to do it. And that's how you look at risk financing is if you can get somebody else to take it at a price that you're willing to give it away, give it away. So lastly then, I mean, 
how do you ensure then, Pete, that clients understand from the beginning, we've talked about it all the way through this pod, you know, that a capture strategy should be viewed as a long-term play, not a short-term fix. Is it, it's, presumably it's not just about your conversations with, with the risk manager or whoever it is internally driving the captive, but also their conversations internally with their colleagues on peers, whether at board level or senior management. Yeah, so when you're starting the captive conversation, and, and this could be for a new captive, it could be sort of doing a health check or a review in the interim and saying, you know, looking at it, but the conversation should should always be, uh, or I should take a step back. There's typically, if you're looking at a new captive, there's typically a need or something that is driving it, right? And it could be, you know, our, our cyber is going to cost us, you know, they're, they're forcing us to go from a $500,000 retention to a $5 million. Um, they'll only give us $50 million of the limit, nothing above that. And oh, by the way, they're excluding ransomware. So there's an impetus to create the need and the conversation. Where it should go from there is we don't want to be as an organization, and I don't mean the the manager or consultant, I mean the client, we don't want to be in the situation where we are subject to these significant and wild industry or insurance fluctuations in pricing. We want to be in a position where we have greater control of our destiny. So essentially the conversation might start out with an immediate short-term need, but it should always be about the long-term positioning of how you finance your risk. Yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting one. And I've, I've definitely heard that story quite a bit from, from risk managers and new captives in, in the past couple of years. And I'll give you one clear example because they were on the podcast. We had Facebook on the podcast last year. Their clear desire and reason for having a, a captive was employee benefits, which actually is pretty rare to start with employee benefits. Uh, but that's kind of the way companies, particularly those kind of uh, West Coast companies are going. They're big people businesses. But as soon as they've done, they've got the captive in place they're already putting all kinds of stuff into there from, from what, what she's discussed with us so uh, it, I imagine that you, you have that need that, that one need that a client comes to you with and once you start talking that through then you can start adding other lines to the conversation yeah and, and that gets into also sort of the the strategy or the, the long term so I'm, I'm going to deviate a little bit from where you're going but you know usually when you're first looking at a captive you're saying what is the low-hanging fruit? What is the thing that makes sense and drives this for us as a risk financing vehicle? It doesn't mean it's the only thing. It's sort of what is that one thing? And from there, there should be the ongoing conversations about doing all sorts of other things with it. I mean, esoteric things. If you could do surety, if you could do, uh, you know, I don't want to say third-party risk, but if you have insurance compliance requirements of, of business partners, you know, it's a way to help support ensuring that you know that they have insurance and they haven't canceled it. So there's all sorts of other things that can build out from there. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're in a changing world, right, obviously. And I think insurance is no different than that. And I think, you know, setting up a captive for those right reasons to begin with only provides you a tool to make further investments in that captive and find further ways to utilize that to your risk management needs. Well, thank you to Pete Krantz and Matt Gravelin of Brown & Brown for a really good discussion on how captive owners and prospects may react if we see a more stable commercial market in the future. And I'm sure this is a topic we'll be discussing more throughout 2022. If you would like more information on our guests or Brown & Brown's captive practice, then do head to the globalcaptivepodcast.com website for biographies and contact information. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives. (laughs) 